Welcome to another episode of our SaaS Stories podcast. I'm your host, Ash, and this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I'll be talking with Peter, who is a co-founder of Scaleups. He has spent many, many years in the industry, shaping up the company's trajectories from, you know, uh, from his zeal for for an impactful contribution led him to the huddles and then Peter's unwavering commitment saw his through challenges against industry giants etc etc but I've got something more for you in this uh, in this particular episode I've got an expert which will be uh, helping us to understand more about how actually the um, uh, pain points which is uh, suffered by all the founders uh, all the you know, startups, all the scale-ups could be addressed with the help of some new strategies. So I hope you enjoy. Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ash. Great to be here. Do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires or motivates you that you can share? So for me, there's two, actually. Um, I mean, the first one is effectively, this too shall pass. Um, Mm -hmm. It kind of teaches you that when things aren't working that well, It's going to end. At some point in time, things will get better. Um, But then conversely, don't get too arrogant in that the good times don't always last. And at some point in time, they may end up going off. So just always be cognizant of that. And the second one really is uh, from Steve Jobs, uh, which is paraphrasing, hire great people and get out of their way. Uh, Don't necessarily try to micromanage them or anything like that. Um, And that's that's the two things that it is that I've really liked look to lead or look to, to live by. Yeah, yeah, that's I, I, I couldn't agree more with both of them. Yeah, <laughs> great stuff. So, so tell us, tell us about scaleups and what what does the service offers? Who is it for? And what's the main problem you're helping to solve? Sure. So, basically, with my many many years of experience um, working at senior levels in startups, um, what I decided to do was launch scaleup to provide smaller types of organizations, but then I'm happy working in larger ones as well with the benefit of my experience. So that's predominantly been in everything post-sale to do with customer. So looking at refining processes and support teams, looking at your customer success strategy, also looking at comms strategy as well. Um, I have superpowers really in aligning organizations and getting stuff out the door as well. Um, One of the projects that I led at Improbable was getting a game out um, on the platform for their lighthouse customer. Uh, and there was also a hundred million dollars worth of investment sitting on that launching successfully too. Did all that in my first six months probation period. Um, so that was awesome. Lots of pressure, lots of getting stuff done, getting stuff out there um, and aligning the customers engineering teams with mine as well. So got loads of experience doing that and can help you. And also coaching and general leadership. So um, I love helping people. So one of the things that there's a bunch of quotes on my LinkedIn from people I've worked with in the past saying best manager ever, all these sorts of things. So very happy working with people to develop the management techniques. So turning theory into practice in their teams as well. And also facilitation. So going in and doing workshops with organizations and helping them kind of get to the bottom of a specific problem that it is they have and then finding a pathway forwards. Because that can often be a challenge. Um, people often look at it from their lens, if you will. So from their side of the organization, I'm very experienced at doing it kind of at the higher level, broader and bringing people along the journey with me. 
Oh, that's really good. So two questions. First, mm. have, have your customer or the person or the organization you were working for, they got the investment after the launch? They did indeed. <laughs> Perfect. That's a good news. Second one, how your uh, uh, consult- consulting uh, firm, uh, Scale-Up, actually helps out uh, the the executives or the organizations with this uh, facilitation uh, experience and, 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 and um, you know, services you provide? Sure. So it very much depends on what the specific problem is. And executives tend to have lots of them. So it could be that we don't believe that we have, um, I guess, um, a high-performing engineering team, not because the people aren't very good, but they don't have brilliant rhythms of business in place if you will or um, some of the management there tends to be inexperienced so what they tend to do is in one-to-ones it's often just a bit of a chat and this rhythm of business isn't in place so looking to work with them to put things in place that are more regimented and a little bit more grown up so for example um, making sure the stand-ups are running they often are but okay what's the format of the stand-ups are people again just chatting or are they basically doing here's what i did yesterday here's what i'm planning on doing today here's where i'm blocked as very very succinct as possible if people start then conversing about being blocked taking that offline dealing with it separately then treating one-to-ones which everyone needs to have as if they are purely for the member of staff that the one-to-one is about. They often turn into, oh, here's what I did yesterday, here's what it is that I'm working on. And there's, of course, a crossover there with regards to people's own professional development in that the things that they're working on do end up impacting that. But they don't have to be the be-all and end-all. So it's just making sure that people have a structure there to then start to become more high-performing. And there's all those sorts of things. Very much help as well around um the overall customer journey so um thinking about it from an experience standpoint not necessarily in the product because that's very ux focused but okay what's the experience when customer is here what's the experience when customer is here what's the experience when customer here for example one of the companies that i previously worked at um the they would give the customer quite a technical piece of software as a trial and that trial was effectively unbounded and it was like here you go see what happens um now of course when someone from sales went back to the customer and says how's it going customers like i haven't had the chance to try it yet what's the deal can we have some more free time that isn't best practice if however when someone starts to download something you're going to call straight away with them say okay what are you looking to achieve with the download of this particular software what problem are you looking to solve then write that down, get agreement from the customer, agree a relevant time frame. At the end of that time frame, say, okay, if we've achieved this, are you going to buy? Yes, okay, you've now got specific kind of rhythms, if you will, that you can go through to start pushing along the sales motion. And then, of course, there's professional services and everything that comes into play. So if you're running where you're effectively unstructured, I can very much come in and help bring you or all your teams along on a journey to become more structured and hopefully more efficient. Mm, got it, got it. So what I picked up from your explanation is you actually make teams perform in a streamlined manner. Yes. Is that correct? Okay. So just out of curiosity, mm. is something related to the safe six, scrum, agility, agile frameworks, which 
So there is a little bit. I mean, um, historically, I have an old lapsed Prince 2 practitioner qualification. Um, Mm -hmm. But a lot of project management, um, and this is not to be disparaging at all, I I see it as a lot of kind of common sense. Um, Of course, things shift, um, but you need to do some planning. If you plan too far, plan too much, it goes out the window because stuff changes um, yeah. but at least having a vague idea of where it is you're looking to go and mm-hmm. how long it's going to take you to get there when it is you're building stuff absolutely so one of the big things um that every single engineering team that i've ever come across struggles with is estimations they often tend to be out of the window but then there's practices that you can in- invoke to try and make that a little bit better so if you've got t-shirt sizing on things for example mm-hmm. hey, if you know it's an excel and you don't really know how it's going to get there because it's excel unbounded unknown new territory time box and estimation period for someone to have a technical spike into that development. Often people want to kind of try and solve it and it's great and they end up banging their head against the wall for a long period of time and there's not really any update. If however, you're breaking that down, because hey, everyone knows that if you break down big, hairy, audacious goals or problems into smaller parts, you're a lot more likely to achieve them. So again, it's just helping people put the framework in there and giving the advice. Great, great. So, so, so let's talk about where that story begins. Where did the idea for scale came from? So frankly, um, I took redundancy from Improbable where I worked last year and then the tech market in London and worldwide just crashed. Yeah. So, um, from between there and now, I've been looking around at different places. Of course, the hiring market has been a challenge as well for a bunch of different obvious reasons especially at senior level there's fewer roles anyway there's fewer roles even now so i thought hey one of the things that i've always really loved about working in startups is a the fast pacedness b the different challenges that you come across on a daily basis and c really being able to see how it is that i can impact an organization with my work directly if i worked at a google or something like that i'm a very small cog in a very large machine um, so I just almost after doing some contracting and consulting, uh, generally contracting really, had this epiphany of like, why don't I turn this into a brand and get it a bit more out there and have people come to me rather than just searching for contracting gigs and really see how it is that I can help more people and have that direct impact, not just with them, but with my own business. Yeah, that's 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 a brilliant idea. And, and, and when you had this epiphany, did you look into the market or there were products what was going on so there are a bunch of different consultants out there um i mean i've looked into the market and sure um like i said there's loads of them it's almost saturated um from my perspective what i'm really looking at or how it is that i'm generating leads is through linkedin primarily and using my own network until it gets to such a point in time that that becomes larger so second and third degree connections i'm reaching out to um people that it is that I've worked with in the past who have now done their own thing, reaching out to them. And that's actually going really quite well. I mean, from, from some recent work that I'd been performed for Octopus Electric Vehicles in their customer operations team, uh, through word of mouth internally, <clears throat> I've now been brought back in to do work with their product and technology team. So, there you go. yeah. Yeah, so that's exciting. Revenue and, and, and deals and my own kind of new projects to come primarily from that for now. Mm-hmm. Ironically, I actually interviewed recently somebody who is a LinkedIn guru from Amsterdam, and mm-hmm. he just 
it's like I don't know more than 200 leads in a day. Yep, that is how big he is uh, in terms of content generation and all. Um, and he only works for three days a week for two hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon. That's it. Yep. And he runs um, an agent six-figure agency uh, in Amsterdam, and he spends six months on holiday while working on his laptop. And when he told me this, I was like, oh, my God, how much power you have when you're putting yourself out on LinkedIn and then, you know, doing... Because he used to actually run an agency before, but yeah. now he just works on his own. So LinkedIn is powerful, powerful. No doubt about it. Okay, great. So, Peter, I'm eager to learn more about you as a person. How, can, you, can you take us back to your roots and share with our listeners about your upbringing, your childhood? How did you, your early experiences shape your journey and eventually led to become this you know, entrepreneur? And were there any key influences from your family or surroundings that played a significant role in shaping your entrepreneur spirit? Sure. Well, I mean, um, my dad was a maintenance engineer and had a couple of different degrees from Cranfield Uni, um, but um, it wasn't necessarily enormously well paid or anything like that. So I'd say it was kind of very blue collar upbringing almost. But for me, um, I always felt that I wanted more um, and was academic um, with a fast pace of learning. So when it was that I was at secondary school, um, that was all great. Um, but then when I went to sixth form, uh, I started at a sixth form in Cambridge called Hills Road. And that was almost like the most prestigious sixth form in Cambridge if you weren't paying money for it. Mm. But for me, I didn't really get on very well there um, in that it was a slower pace of learning from what it was that I was used to um, from being in top sets and everything in secondary school. So... I was a little bit naughty and didn't attend lessons, but read the textbooks and, and still got really good grades. However, the yeah. teacher asked me to restart and I did. But um, again, I just really wasn't feeling it, wasn't getting on with the staff there because I wasn't willing to conform. Um, so I left and jumped around a few jobs, even had a job working at Coots Bank in London for a period of time when I was 18. And I guess I got my feel, my first real break, if you will, and um, a hunger purely by accident in that I joined a startup called Redgate Software up in Cambridge. And I was employee number 56 and I was joined in the sales team and I was 22 years old. Wow. Yeah. So I had previous retail sales jobs before then. I think the manager of the sales team as well, who was brother-in-law of one of the CEOs, ended up hiring me because he previously worked in Dixon's, another electronics shop. And so he thought no, there was an affinity there. Um, but I loved it. Um, for me, um, I always remember, first of all, the casualness of it, because it was a startup. Uh, you got the office wearing what it is you want. Um, the joint CEO one of them used to have this really bizarre straw boater hat that he'd wear cycling into work. And you know, those like zip trousers that you get for walking that cut off and turn into shorts. So he turned yeah. up into the office in those. And I remember someone coming in for a meeting with him. Um, and the person who came in for the meeting was like, you're, you're not the CEO purely because you're dressed. And he'd yeah. just get out. I'm not having that sort of attitude in here. And that was great. Absolutely fantastic. <clears throat> and the thing that kind of really got me hooked was because it was a smaller sales team, you could really see how 
the numbers on the sales that you were making were directly translating and correlating into the company's success. And at the end of my first month, um, this CEO came in and said, hey, look, there's a company target of a million dollars. Bearing in mind, this was a bootstrapped company, not VC-backed at all. So Mm -hmm. sales team, if you hit this million-dollar target, which is in front of everyone, everyone in the company will get a thousand pounds of bonus. But because this is a million dollars, sorry, a million dollars um, target, it's a million and it's a milestone. If you end up doing it, I will also buy everyone in the company a flat screen TV. There you go. What? (laughs) Does this happen? It's crazy. Um, So from that moment, I was hooked and the sales team did it and it was brilliant. And then the next town hall that we had, the CEO made the announcement and there was this big white lorry outside in the car park with all these TVs in the back. And it was fantastic seeing people trying to balance the TVs on their bikes, going back into central Cambridge where they lived from the science park where the office was at. Um, And yeah, like I said, I was hooked. I loved it. Um, I loved the pace, um, the constant dynamic changing, um, constantly looking at markets, talking with customers. I realized I had a technical aptitude as well. So I pitched to move into a, first of all, doing some assisting with the product management team. So I learned a lot there around kind of like features, benefits, um, more more from the sales side around, okay, you're asking that you want easiness. Customer wants a big blue button. Okay, cool. You want the big blue button, but what are you actually trying to achieve? Because if we actually gave you big red switch, then that might work not just for you, but for other people across the board. So really getting to the root of the user problem and what it is they're trying to solve rather than just taking at face value the request. So that was great from a product standpoint. Um, and then I pitched to move into what I called a technical pre-sales role. So I'd figured out that on the larger type deals, when someone a bit more technical joined the call, it would give more confidence to the buyers. So whenever it was that I joined in with another member of the sales team, uh, with that more technical aptitude, more confidence was there, transaction value was higher, there was a greater chance of the deal coming in. Um, so I went from there, and that was great. When it wasn't doing those pre-sales things, I was attached to the tech support team to continuously up my skills in that area. And then from, I guess, my drive um, and previous management experience, I then got put in charge of that, um, which was a weird experience in that I was 26 years old and everyone else in the team was mid-30s plus. So, yeah, uh, some of them were even nearly 50. So I had to kind of be, hey, I'm not here to rock the boat. Um, I don't want to change anything right now unless it is that you guys think things need changing. And let's talk about that. Let's come together. Let's come to an agreement. The one thing I do want to do, though, is make you aware that I'm here to remove obstacles for you. So treat me like that. If you're having issues with another department, I've got your back, providing it's reasonable. Let's let's go sort it out. I want to allow you to do great work and me to take away everything else for you. Got it, got it. So you're you're the you're the obstacle uh, killer, yeah. <laughs> servant leader, that kind of yeah. political schmoozing. But um, I always remember for one of the things <clears throat> there was there was a particular issue a previous place I worked at where I we were having consistent outages, and the particular dev team that was responsible for that part of the code base were quite under the gun with regards to a number of other things as well as these outages. Now, being responsible for the customer 
in that company, I could have quite easily gone in and just said, this is not acceptable, guys, fix it. Like really come down like a ton of bricks. Um, but that wouldn't get you anywhere. So it's the, hey, I fully understand and I empathize and appreciate with absolutely everything that you've got on your plates. I know that you've got in this, you this, you this, you're getting pulled in a multitude of different directions. And I really do care about that. However, we've got customer outages that we just can't have, you know? Everyone knows that customer is king. So how is it that we can stop having those outages? And how is it that I can work with you to give you the freedom, the space, the agency, if you will, to get this stuff done? (laughs) A lot more collaborative. um, You get a lot more buy-in and you actually get stuff done rather than appearing like the ass in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. So, so I, I really want to go and, uh, into the understanding of how scale-up works, you know, what are the strategies you use. But before that, would, I would like to know, like, you know, can you give us a sense of the size of the business? Uh, where are you in terms of number of customers, size of the team, etc.? Yeah, so we're super early days for now. <clears throat> it's just me as the, the single consultant, um, kind of pitching myself out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got about six customers on the books for now, um, doing different things for them. Ultimately, um, the best thing, if you want to get in touch is to get in touch with me. There's a link on the website. You can email me, book a slot on my Calendly and let's have a chat. Let's have a discovery call. Let's talk about what problem it is that you are looking to solve, what it is you've got. And, um, if I can help out, I'll tell you and I'll give you a rough structure and I'll give you a rough price. Um, if I can't help out, I'll tell you as well. Um, any estimations that it is I do will be baked in the 17 years of experience that I have, which is not how long it you think it will take, but how long it will likely take. Because um, things often always kind of go a little bit longer. And um, yeah, that's, that's really what it is I'm here for. I'm here to try and help you with the burning, the urgent problems that it is you have. And there are many of them. So I'm just saying, hey, chat with me and if i can help i'll tell you and i'll give you a really vague strategy about going there um not going to put too much into it until there's cash on the table if you will but i'll put proposals together which is going to be um solid enough for you to make a decision on and go from there perfect sounds good so can you share a compelling case study with us that highlights how a company leveraged your skills to achieve success and solve their key business challenges. And I would love to hear about the specific problems they face and the steps you help them take to implement uh, the solution and the measurable outcomes they experience as a result. So I've got a couple of them, really. I mean, um, I've posted them on my LinkedIn as well. Um, the first one really is Mage.com, um, the furniture um, supplier that unfortunately went into administration, so we weren't able to complete the program of work. Yeah. Um, but my contact there um, was essentially responsible for the IT security um, as well as um, customer support um, and some project type stuff. Um, so relatively large department and he was finding that he was getting to the point of being a bottleneck with everything. Mm. And there was a lot of, um, I guess, anxiety as well across the entire, entire department about what was going to happen in the future, all those sorts of things. So I went back and forth with my contact and said, okay, let's, let's do a workshop. Let's sit there and give everyone the opportunity to contribute. 
So we started off with doing the workshop and the first thing I said was, okay, here's the elephant in the room. We don't know what's going to happen. You might go into administration, you might not, you might find a buyer, you might not, is what it is. But we all know that there are current problems and let's not pretend that the world's going to end, but let's also not pretend that the world is going to be great. So why don't we just sit here right now and have a cathartic session where it is that everyone writes down what the problem is that they see, get it all out on the board. There was some chatting there. It broke the ice. Um, you're able to group the problems together. It was all good. Mm-hmm. We then started to say, okay, here are the problems. Here are the problem areas, the groups. What are we going to do about it? And there's lots of blank faces like, look, if you guys are experiencing this day in, day out, it doesn't just have to be the guy that runs the department that figures it out. You must have some ideas about how to make it better because you're living it day in, Mm. day out. So we then started to get that in place. So, okay, cool. Let's look to refine each of those into a path forward strategy for doing the solution. Mm. We started to do that, um, at least as a very high-level straw person type rough plan versus anything detailed. Um, So once we've done that, it's like, okay, great. Who's going to take that on then? Who's going to own it? Because it doesn't have to be him. It can quite easily be one of you guys. This is an opportunity for your career to step up a little bit, get some experience, get some exposure, um, teaching the people how to fish, if you will, rather than just fishing for them and really bringing them along a journey. And the transformation from the beginning where they were being very, very negative because of the bad situation, they end up leaving the workshop feeling enormously positive because they felt that they had agency to fix the things that it was that they were complaining about. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, but it's just kind of getting everyone into a room and having that methodology and that program rhythm if you will to to bring them along and and help them out so made was one of them um the other one was octopus so um the head of octopus electric vehicles which is a of um, energy so um, and the second story i've got is um octopus electric vehicles so um their head of operations, customer operations, I'd actually been mentoring him externally for the past 18 months, two years or so. And he approached me and said, hey, I've got this problem where I've got great operations managers, but um, one of them's leaving and I'm too stuck in the day-to-day and I can't spend the time to think about things strategically. And we have team leaders underneath the operations managers that have grown organically within the organization, which is awesome that they're promoting from within, but then they don't necessarily have that external management coaching experience either. So he said, can I bring you in to kind of fill that hole for now and help me out? I was like, absolutely, no problem at all. So... One of the first things I did was come in and start looking at their, um, from an operational standpoint, um, the time to re- to resolve. And um, they had some great practices in place, um, really down to almost like the minutes, if you will, and how long certain things would take to do. Um, but then from a forecasting perspective, when I was looking at it, the, the numbers just didn't make sense. They didn't add up at all. Um, so one of the first questions I asked, correct? and it turns out that it wasn't. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, because things change, right? Um, people, as they go along, adapt new processes, put new things in place. There's also a lot going on. So 
um, context switching time wasn't allocated as well to go between um, each of the tasks that it was that people were doing. So I said, this is great in that you want to have true precision. But for me, when it is you're looking to forecasting, at least at first, you want to have um, accuracy over precision. And mm-hmm. by that, what I mean is let's take a look at where you're at now, how many people you've got in the team, whether it is that they feel overworked or not, and then work backwards from there as to extrapolate. We have these requests coming about this, these requests coming about that so on and so forth, then you can ratio that up to then say, okay, with future growth, here's what our accurate-ish prediction looks like because this is what the throughput has been of the team in the past. You can then start to move the needle and tweak it around specific time for a given task as you start to grow. But obviously, when you've got a lot of tasks that people are doing, that's quite a intense process to go through that and do the modeling appropriately. Whereas the accuracy of your precision at least gives you a good view into the future fairly quickly, um, especially if you're looking to kind of like present it to an exec team and say what my forecasting looks like for the next year, because those budget calls often come along almost last minute out of the blue to the heads of departments to say, can you get us these numbers? And yeah, or it's also working from, um, from sales numbers too, right? Um, yeah especially in the SaaS world in that just because X numbers of customers sign doesn't mean that X number of customers use. So, or, or, or not churn out. In exactly. exactly. Yeah. So you have to kind of like collaborate as well with the sales team and customer success to ascertain, okay, what does the retention rate look like at the same time? Let's say for example, in the huddles case, um, you're selling seat licenses to an organization, but frankly, um, you're not going to get 90% usage 90% of the time because it was a collaboration tool. People aren't going to be in it necessarily day in, day out. Some people pop in and pop out. So what do the average number of users across that account look like? So what does that then mean from a support incoming tickets perspective based on users of the platform? So doing all those calculations and measuring it out and really helping them with that, Um, as well as, the coaching, um, improving the management style and skills of their team leads. Um, so and that was great. Really, really loved it. And like I said, again, that was in the customer operations team, but I'm now being brought back in to work with the product and technology team. That's, that's really impressive, uh, Peter, because it, looking at the complex problems from a different perspective, splitting these complex problems into small chunks and then trying to come up with a solution which is democratized is yep. a really hard task in organization. Yep. You know? and trust me, I'm not exaggerating it. I have worked with giants. I know how difficult it is to get even three people on the same page mm-hmm. when it comes to the solution. Yep. You know? And you've been doing it with teams, so that hats off to you. Um, so, so great stuff. So I, 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 I sense that you are more into product SaaS and operations and solutionizing issues into the organization. I, I do have somebody in my network whom I have interviewed mm. on this uh, show, actually. His name is Ryan. He's building a SaaS platform for improvement of operations inside the okay. organization. You know, so that's, I remember that when you were explaining me about how you helped out this made.com and Octopus Energy uh, 
you know, uh, as a, as a company. Yeah. So, so, so let's take a hypothetical uh, situation here. You know, you know, I'm enjoying this conversation so much that I want to go uh, go on and on. Yeah, limited time. So, so let's say a SaaS startup comes to you, and you know, we have a network of uh, SaaS founders here in London where we host you know monthly uh, events, etc. The challenges they face is first when they're starting up, they don't have any funding. So they go to these accelerators, get some funding, sort of, blah, blah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Then when they want to scale up, they're mostly primarily focused on their uh, product, how to yep. make it more polished, yep. more yep. nice, secure, etc. Some of them are really, really good with customers also because they do customer, um, you, you know, interviews, etc., and, and understand what their feedback is, their requirements is. The the challenge they need they, they face is a to recruit good people into the organization because it's super difficult in London, yep. and b even if they have good people, make them work together. Yep. Yeah, and I, I'm sure you must have seen this. Yeah. Well, the, the other problem as well is, depending on the viewpoint of the founders, there was a great thing that I saw the other day from Sam Altman from back in the day where he was effectively saying all founders as well automatically think this needs to be scalable. This, this product, if you will, needs to be the same product now and deal with the masses. It mm-hmm. doesn't. It doesn't. And that, that, I think, is one of the primary problems because yeah. from a product standpoint, um, well, firstly, one of the challenges around is around alignment is getting everyone to have a common goal. Mm. And yeah, I might be biased, but for me, the common goal should be customer buying a thing, customer mm. actually wanting to buy a thing. Because yeah, in the VC world, historically, it was super easy to get cash and just blow it all on whatever. But frankly, if you don't have money coming in, people's wages don't get paid. Yeah. Right, so it should be a fairly non-contentious thing to get people behind, no matter what department it is that they're working in. If this is benefiting the customer, let's do it. Now, you have to, of course, be pragmatic around that. So don't just do everything that the customer asks you because they could be a bad fit for where it is that you want to go. But from a founder's standpoint, don't first of all. Don't hire in a software architect that wants to build something to the nth degree because you're going to have to change that at some point in time. Make sure that you start off with something that just about works. That's why you have a support team. Try and make the UI, the experience around that, as slick as possible to keep people, even if there's bugs on the back end, because you just want people to have that nice experience. Yeah. Um, Then when it comes to working together, if we're all going towards the customer and everyone's saying, we should do this because it means getting our wages paid. Happy days. Mm. Mm. Understood. So basically, instead of thinking and spending time and effort on something which might be useful in in future, you yep. focus on current, um, establish, uh, establish with your customers that, yes, the product is ready for you. And then when you have more and more customer, According to your needs, you scale up according. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, at some point in time, that might be a bit of a challenge in that you might um, make it akin to performing open heart surgery whilst also 
having the patient alive and running and doing something because you're fundamentally trying to alter what it is you've got in a back end into a microservices world or something like that. Yeah. But I'd rather personally take that risk than going all out in the beginning, not knowing that I've got product market fit and people actually want to buy the thing that it is that I've got. Got it, got it. Interesting. So if, you, if you're building a kid a tree house, right, do you build them the Taj Mahal up in a tree or do you put a shed up in a tree? Right. To start off with, right? Yeah. You build the first thing and then you can, when they start to play with it and play with it more and they love it, then expand upon it and make it cooler, add a slide, add some swings. Because um, other kids will like to play on the slide and swings as well. Yeah. Um, but if you just build the Taj Mahal from the off and put all of that effort into building that, and it turns out that they're allergic to pollen and therefore they don't go out in the treehouse that much. Fine. Exactly. That's that's really interesting. So so you know, as we are heading towards the end of the interview, mm-hmm. I, I I want to learn more uh, from you. So 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 this is like you know before we go into our lightning round, yeah. throughout journey, you must have had experiences um, with valuable lessons, right? If you don't mind sharing, could you reflect on your experience and tell us about one mistake or a setback? that you encountered along the way look um one of the things in the company playbook for the company i joined at redbook <coughs> redgate even was mistakes are a sign of a healthy organization providing you learn from them <coughs> so it's all good if you don't make the same mistake quite twice of course because then that just makes you a bit foolish but <coughs> Make mistakes. If you're making mistakes, you are learning, and that's good. So for me, um, honestly, one of the things that I learned earlier on in my career was around managing up. So um, one of my bosses at one point in time was a chief marketing officer, um, and he'd come from a very, very large organization, and he was used to doing all of this marketing kind of blue-sky thinking about the art of the possible. Um, and then he'd start talking to me about it. And I would say, well, no, you can't do it because of this, 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 this. And there was a real clash there with me being quite blunt about it and him being very ethereal, if you will. Because from the large organization, he was very much used to having a team of people underneath him that was able to operationalize his, his thoughts and processes. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I really, from that, learned about how to meet people in the middle and think about what they were wanting and how best to negotiate appropriately. Um, I mean, there's another quote, I guess, that I've rolled out a few times uh, around the art of true negotiation is that everyone feels uncomfortable enough just to be comfortable. So one party doesn't end up feeling put out, if you will. So that's something that I've learned. Um, There was another thing where I really tried to put my foot down around um, support operating hours and SLA times and things like that when I was a lot younger and running a team. And what I then learned was, okay, I shouldn't necessarily be doing this. It's up to the business to make a decision whether it is that they take that risk or not. And that that was very much a disagree and commit moment where it's like, hey, I'm going to put it out there. I'm not going to put my name behind it because I can't achieve what these numbers are. But as a business, if you want to go ahead and do with it, fine happy days just kind of don't come at me when when if if it does end up going wrong but let's try it let's see let's get behind it let's see if we're caught out whatever i say caught out as if it's kind of like a negative thing 
Um, but yeah, so the whole disagree and commit thing, um, really, really good. Um, other mistakes that I've made, honestly, there's been loads of them with regards to how it is that I've approached certain situations, um, being cautious around um, the wording of things to kind of not, not upset people, going in being a little bit too bullish. But again, this is all good as long as you learn from it, take it yeah. from feedback and, and go forth. Yeah, yeah, totally agree, totally agree. So, so and, and, and I, I, I want to pick up on the negotiation part because what mm-hmm. I've learned is if you, if you make the other party your you're negotiating with uncomfortable enough that yep. you can pull it back to comfort. Yeah. Then compared to somebody whom you just made comfortable since from the starting, when the both party leaves the room yep. with a contract, one which you made uncomfortable with be more happy. Hundred percent. I mean, um, again, when I was at Huddle, um, our business operations director who was in charge of security. I can't remember the exact reason why it was that I was going to him. Someone wanted access for something. Um, and my approach to him was, if we start off in a positions that we're going to make this as open as possible for Russians to hack it, <clears throat> it's that kind of putting them in that very, very uncomfortable position to then bring him back into something which is more in the real world, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So I 100% agree with you. Great. So okay. So we should we should wrap up now. We should go to the lightning round. I've got six big five questions for you. So answer that as quickly as you can. Okay. Great. Question number one: What book would you recommend to our audience, and why? Drive by Daniel Pink. I think it's an amazing book on motivation. Um, Probably very well known by your audience anyway, but it's one that I've always thought was fantastic. Also, flipping a second one there. Best service is no service. Um, I can't remember the authors, but it's an amazing book as well. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind for a successful founder? Pragmatic. Hmm. Yeah. The, uh, I, I couldn't tell you how many times I've heard this. <laughs> all the interviews, you know, this is one of the things which you need desperately. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Ooh, uh, Slack. <clears throat> What's a new or crazy business idea you would love to pursue if you had time and money? Um, I'm actually on board with this from one of my friends in that um, he came up with the idea, so I can't take credit on it, but I'm fully behind it in that he came up with this concept of attaching nurseries to old people homes in that it's scientifically proven that old people live longer when it is that they are um, when they're doing things with young people and so on and so forth. Nursery fees in the UK, probably in the well, they definitely are in the US as well. They're just astronomically high. Mm-hmm. If you had a subsidised nursery attached to an old person's home, where the old people could look after the kids along with other members of staff too, it would help keep the old people young. From a revenue perspective, they're going to mean they're not going to they're going to keep on paying to stay in the old people's home. Cheaper nursery fees, everybody wins. Everybody wins. This is an amazing idea. I'm totally. <laughs> If you ever need somebody come on board on this one, give me a shot. Sure, <laughs> I have a, I have lots of um, old age people in my family, and I mm-hmm. do have a few younger ones, so I understand the yep. emotion. Yep. Okay. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? 
I once was very nearly shot by the Queen Mum's bodyguards. Ooh. And by the shot, what did they do? Really? Oh my god. That is definitely fun fact. <laughs> right. Last, um, what's one of the best piece, piece of business advice you have received? Um, honestly, the, predominantly it's not personal, it's business. Um, if, someone's, if someone's objecting to you, they're not objecting to you as a person. Like, take the emotions out of it, take the human element. Again, put the pragmatic face in front. <clears throat> don't, don't, don't be too, like, too ruled by emotions. Of course, have emotions, be empathetic, get people on board, understand people, treat them as individuals, so on and so forth. But if you find that something comes at you that feels like an attack, it generally really isn't. And majority of the time, everyone has different, the best intentions. They're not trying to be nefarious. They're just approaching whatever it is that you're approaching with a different lens, a different view on the world. And healthy discussion and debate is cool. Um, gives you an opportunity to disagree and commit. Gives you an opportunity to learn if there's something it is you're ignorant of. It's all good. It's not personal attack. It's business. Just move forward. Perfect. That's, that's lovely, lovely advice. Peter, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story and backing the last years of building your skills and you know some of, some of the ups and downs along the way. If people want to check out your um, consulting website, what, what's the URL? How do they get in touch? Sure. So it's <clears throat> www.https uh, even, uh, scale-up with two Ps to represent my name, Peter Pitt, uh, .uk. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn, uh, Peter Pitt on LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, look forward to hearing from anyone that wants some help. Awesome. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your inspiring journey and the impactful work you're doing. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on It's been great being here, Ash. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you all for listening to this episode of our SaaS Stories podcast. I hope you found our conversation with Peter insightful and inspiring. If you want to get in touch with Peter, give me a shout. I can hook you up with him. If you are a founder or an industry expert interested in sharing your stories on SaaS Stories podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out. Simply email me at ash at artcircles.com and let's connect for a potential interview opportunity. Stay inspired, stay motivated, and keep building.